Hi, I'm Shiv. And I'm Chitra. We are the co-hosts of this show, Software People Stories. We are happy to bring you stories of people associated with software as makers or consumers. In every episode, we talk to people on their own personal and professional journeys, their interests and approach to work and life in a free-flowing conversational format. We hope that you will be able to draw your inspiration from their experiences and insights. These podcasts are made possible by PM Power Consulting, who have helped individuals, teams, and organizations on their delivery excellence journeys. Welcome to this episode of the Software People Stories. Today, my guest is Yogesh Gupta, who is the President and CEO of Progress. Yogesh calls himself a technologist at heart. And in this conversation, we talk about how he got into the Indian Institute of Technology to do engineering in electrical engineering, and how a joystick actually helped him get into programming his early interest in AI and how he was working on building a distributed relational database early on in his career. We also talk about his thoughts on AI in everything and how technology can be considered as additive. We also look at the role of culture in integrating different products and teams that are geographically distributed as well as that came together through acquisitions. And the basis for all this is about having mutual respect for values, culture, background, etc. And his approach of teaming young professionals with much more experienced people and how that gave him benefits when he took charge of a large organization. We also talk about what he hears as one of the top expectations from his customers and his advice to aspiring IT professionals based on his own experience. And finally, his own experience in the transition from being a techie to a global leader. Listen on. Welcome, Yogesh, to the Software People Stories podcast. It's been a pleasure to know about you from my colleague Anand. And uh, I've been waiting to talk. And it has been, I think, a couple of times we've tried to schedule. And thanks for taking the time and sharing your perspectives with our listeners. So we usually start with uh, the guest introducing oneself. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Yogesh. I was just saying, uh, you know, it's a, the pleasure is mine, Shiv. You know, it's uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be invited to to be on this podcast. So thank you for the invitation. You're welcome. So I was saying, you now we can start with uh, a brief introduction of yourself and how you got into IT, a software. So, um, so Shiv, the story is is relatively straightforward. I grew up in India, and as many of you probably know, when you're growing up, the uh, Parents always say, you know, become a doctor or become an engineer, right? And so I actually all along loved math and physics. I, I love to tinker with things. I used to take things apart occasionally, even was able to put them back together throughout school. And so uh, by the time I got into high school, I pretty much knew I wanted to be a, an electronics engineer. I don't know why, but that just became sort of the, the, the theme in my head. And when I was doing my higher secondary in, in, in Gwalior, a couple of my friends were from Tamil Nadu a gentleman by the name of Bala and another one by the name of Murli. And they both said, hey, you know, you got to write the IIT entrance exam, JEE. And I said, well, what, what is that? Right? I had mm-hmm. never heard of it. 
Gwalior, we were, you know, studying in the local Kendi Vidyalaya, that was it. And so, you know, on a whim, so to speak, and, you know, we, we all wrote the JEE. I was fortunate enough to get in and ended up at IIT Madras doing electrical engineering and, and then ended up doing my undergraduate in electrical engineering. At that time, the electrical had two branches within uh, IIT Madras. One was called electrical power, which was the more power systems and heavy electrical stuff. And other was low current LC, which was electronics. So I, I did the LC. But as I was wrapping up my undergraduate, at that, in those days, it was a five-year program. In my fourth year, I took a software development course with Professor Mahabala, who was, um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, who, he was the HOD, and he mm-hmm. used to teach introductory programming to the LC class, the electronics batch. So I did that, and, and I really loved it. And I, I, in the evenings, I would go and write Fortran programs on, and on punch cards and <laughs> put them into the IBM mainframe and get, you know, green bar reports the next day. And... Um, I told Professor Mahavala at the end of the semester that I wanted to do my final year thesis project with him. And, and he was kind of unhappy with that. He said, Yogesh, you're, elect- you're electronics. You need to do engineering. You can't do computer science. You can't do programming. I said, okay, let's figure out something where I can do that. So he had gone to Singapore that summer, came back with a joystick. So this is 1980, right? So the summer of 1980, he came back with a joystick. He gave it to me. He said, you know, create the circuitry to connect this to the PDP-11 we have in the lab. And then write the driver effectively to, to move the cursor and pen up and down and all those things and basically draw on the screen. I said, okay. So, um, you know, that's how I sort of started it. And then uh, I applied to for graduate studies to the U.S. Uh, in computer science, came here to do my uh, uh, PhD. I wanted to do a PhD in AI. So when I came in 1981 to University of Wisconsin-Madison, very soon it became clear that uh, things were way too early for AI. Uh, there was no computing resource that was enough let alone that the algorithms. I'm happy to work on the algorithms. That's what I would expect to do. But there was the computing power was, you know, pitiful, right? In, in terms of what it is today. Mm-hmm. The, the data was not, data didn't exist, storage didn't exist. So I switched to uh, database, uh, database management systems and worked with Professor DeWitt on that and did my grad studies in that. And one thing led to another and I started writing software. So I know it's a long story, Shiva. I know you probably were looking for a shorter one, but, uh, but that's how I got into the software business. And I've only done uh, enterprise software all my life in one, sh- one way, shape or form. Interesting. So when um, you said that now you had this joystick to program initially and uh, working at that level of drivers to enterprise software, you know, what has been your own transformation in terms of appreciating the problem or even trying to maybe design a solution? I, you know, I mean, I think in, in fact, so, so I, you know, if I were to start sharing details about, you know, the device driver, uh, you know, scenario, the, this PDP-11 didn't even have an assembler. So we were, I actually wrote machine code, right? Literally, okay. you know, machine code, right? It, it was really low level programming. It helped me get an appreciation of how the machine actually works. I mean, I think there's a, one of the things I, I believe at least I'm a, I'm a curious type of person. I'm an engineer at heart, even though today I don't do any engineering. I, I'm, a, I'm a tinkerer at heart. I'm a problem solver at heart. And, and so when I, understanding to me how a computer actually works allowed me, I think, to write software that was better. When I went to Wisconsin, you know, learned a lot about how do you write compilers, learned about operating systems, learned about database management systems, algorithms, I mean, the, the basic fundamental stuff of, of computer science. And, and I think that there was tremendous grounding. And if you think about it, right, 81, 82, 83, those were the days when a lot of this stuff was just happening. Uh, you know, there, there, were, there were no PCs, there were 
Forget Macs, forget Macs, they were not even PCs. Computer systems were very rudimentary. Uh, the UI was a green screen with, with text. So, you know, it was a, the only software that existed was enterprise software, right? I mean, it, it only was about, you know, it was about how do we serve business? And so the database area arena, then relational database market was just starting. I got into it and I ended up working at Burroughs uh, as my first job. Uh, oh, and Shiv, okay. you... You were at Tata Burroughs in India. I yeah. was at Burroughs in the U.S., right? Uh -huh. and, and, and they hired me here to work, be part of a team, and we were trying to build a, a new distributed relational database in, in the early 80s. And then I went, ended up in Silicon Valley at a startup and so on. And so just for the first decade, I worked on relational databases and distributed relational databases. And that's, okay. you know, all enterprise software. Mm. Uh, and then I was at a company uh, called Cullinet Software, which was the first software company ever to hit $100 million in revenue. Nobody ever remembers them because they became a $100 million software company in the early 80s. And by 1987, 88, they were a couple hundred million dollars. But by 1989, they were going back because hmm. they were doing non-relational databases on the mainframe. And in the late 80s, there was a significant trend towards relational databases on Unix boxes, Oracle, Ingress, DB2, others. And so Cullinet was acquired by Computer Associates, and I spent nearly 20 years at Computer Associates doing a lot of different things. So, so again, Computer Associates was an enterprise software company. So once you get to know something, I also believe, by the way, that, you know, I found, again, for myself, and each person is very different. As my career has progressed, leveraging some of what I already knew helped me do something new. Right? For me, it would have been very difficult. For example, I went from engineering and running engineering organizations to I was asked, hey, launch a product and go into marketing. If I had launched a product and gone into marketing, which was tough enough because I knew nothing about marketing, it was probably the scariest day of my career. The day I was asked to do that, my first words out of my mouth to the CEO were, Charles, what did I do wrong? <laughs> I looked at it as a punishment. <laughs> uh, but the, the fact that it was enterprise software, I understood the problems we were solving. I understood what we were trying to sell to who I was able to do the marketing job well enough to, for us to succeed. And, and so I think, so I've stayed with enterprise software. To me, that has been the constant, even though enterprise software itself has dramatically evolved. Yeah, I remember both in a Kalinet as well as in a DMS2. As it oh evolved. my gosh, there you go. Yeah, because I worked in one of the Burroughs plants in Mission Viejo and Pasadena had a reasonable team, a large team working on DMS2. Correct. Yeah. And uh, how we are building in transaction systems, making it performance, and the compliance, right. and all that. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, those fundamentals, I guess, always stayed. And in a way, when you said that now you didn't have enough compute power for AI in those days, now probably it's the other extreme. Now, there are too many things that now everybody wants to have AI in everything. <laughs> I know. I, well, so you know, in in our industry, we actually have a, um, what I think is a bad habit. Some new technology comes along and we think that by just sort of sprinkling the dust of that technology on everything we do, we can make everything modern and sound exciting and, 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 and it, you know, that's just the future. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been in software, to be honest, and as have you, you know, for such a long time, we have seen the industry grow from infancy to what it is today. And technology is additive. It is, doesn't replace other stuff. It, it is additive. Even today, IDMS from Cullinet runs mission-critical systems at, at over wow. a thousand at over a thousand enterprises, right? Mm -hmm. CA still has those customers. Right? Well, 30 mm -hmm. years. 
So it isn't that stuff goes away, but you add additional things. And you, I think, so along comes, you know, mobility and everybody goes, oh, let's do mobile first. And then along comes cloud and everybody goes, let's do cloud first. And now it's AI, let's do AI first. Come on, it'll be something else. It, but that's the nature of our industry. That's the nature of hype in our industry. And I think it actually there's a little, does a little bit of disservice because it, creates expectations that are then not met for a long time. And so then there's this period in the middle where people go, oh, this was all hype. Well, it wasn't all hype. Some of it was actually true. And But because everything was broad brushed with AI, then there will be this period over the next three to five years where people will go, oh man, that AI thing was just, and by the way, just two years ago, it was all blockchain, right? I, maybe it is still going on. I have no idea, right? Uh, like, you know, any problem, blockchain. So it's like, you know, we come up with a new hammer and we say every problem looks like a nail because I got a hammer. <laughs> right. That's just the way it is. Yeah. So that uh, brings me to uh, probably something closer to your current role. When you handle multiple products, portfolio of products coming from different uh, organizations, probably adjacent solutions, but the way they were built or they, they were conceived are very different. So what challenges do you see to integrate them from a developer perspective as well as your customers? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, Shiv, that's absolutely true, right? You know, we have a set of products that thematically all support various aspects of people building business applications. I mean, we have a database system that is 30 plus years old, but it is very modern even today. We have UI development tools, everything from mobile to web to, to working on AR and VR and and, and and, and so on. We have a cloud platform that connects all the things and, and can bring things together. And we have data connectivity and, and mission critical data access to any kind of data source. All these things are different products though. And they actually have different origin, as you said. Some of them weren't even created by Progress, the company. They were companies that Progress acquired over its life. And so, first of all, I think that when one acquires a company that has a set of products, even though they might be in the same sort of adjacent market or related market, one must understand how the use of that product enhances the use of existing products that the company has. How can you have some additional value for the users? I always look at integration from the perspective of the end user, right? We have a developer. If the developer wants to build a modern UI for iOS or Android, how will that connect to my open edge database? And, and if I can facilitate that, then I have done the right set of integration. If I've just done integration for the integration stack. So I, I think quite often, by the way, I, I've, I've been a developer and I still am a technologist at heart, even though I haven't written any code that, that is in any product for 20 years. I, I believe that as a developer, sometimes we think in a very purest way that you know, integration means we should all use a common tech stack. Integration means we should all have you know, common methodologies and, and, and you know, all, all the APIs should be the same and so on. Yes, that would be useful for our own sake because if we had one tech stack, it would simplify life for us. But sometimes the two products have completely different tech stacks. Uh, a, a product that was written originally in the 90s in, in C and a product today that is written to, to build uh, mobile frontends in JavaScript or, or web frontends in JavaScript, they are very different and the tech stacks are going to be different. Right. And in fact, they do, they're not going to run on the same machine ever. <laughs> they just need to talk yeah. to each other really well. Yeah. So integration there really is, can I seamlessly, from an end user perspective, right? The developer perspective. Can I seamlessly take a database object and instantiate it into a form, right? Or, or, or have an interaction with a user using chat and, and fill out data that is needed in the database or do a transaction. I mean, though, am I facilitating that? So I think if you come at it from that perspective, Shiva, I think the integrations are just 
that much more valuable. And in the end, it is about delivering value to the end user. It is about delivering value to the people that are going to use your products. So that's the way I look at it. That's the way we look at it. We spend enormous amount of time and effort on figuring out the use cases uh, that we believe we can serve when we bring products together. And if we can't serve meaningful use cases, then we don't think that there is an opportunity for integration. And then, then we kind of look at it and go, maybe this acquisition doesn't make sense. Maybe this, this integration doesn't make sense. Even if the acquisition may make sense from a, some other business perspective, it doesn't make sense from a product perspective. So I, I think that that's, that's, our, that's my approach and has been my approach. It's a very pragmatic approach, not a theoretical approach. It may rub some developers the wrong way, but I do believe that in the end, our goal with anything is to get the usage up, Right. People talk about traction nowadays. Yeah. What is traction? Right? The traction is that people using it. People, and people only use something if they get value out of it. So I, that's, so I, I look at it from that perspective. See, in uh, many of um, the uh, consulting or coaching engagements that I've been, you always find the cultural aspect of uh, even teams working together within one organization as a big you know, challenge. Now, yes. when you bring in, say, different products, which probably still have their own identities lingering underneath, even though you have a common... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So how do you address those kinds of challenges? And how do you basically encourage the developers to have empathy for the users? Ultimately, that has to override the technical superiority or something that is the fad of the day to be put into the product. So I think that, you know... Yeah, that's a really, really good question. You know, I think so there are, I think you asked sort of, in my mind, two very interesting questions. The first one was really sort of, how do you even get two groups of developers who come from very different backdrops mm-hmm. to have respect for each other before even they get to the respect for the end user and, 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 and what the end user wants, right? How do you get them to talk to each other in a, in a way that they're truly listening when the other side is talking? Because they both bring something to the table. They both have their user communities. They both mm-hmm. have value that they've been delivering, right? And if you don't make that happen in a meaningful way, then people talk past each other and they talk at each other rather than they talk to each other. And mm-hmm. so, so I think that the conversation has to be engaging. And I think making sure that people realize that we expect that, that we respect our 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 uh, colleagues that that we so that, that that's sort of an internal culture thing Shiv, that is about respect for colleagues respect for diversity of opinion respect of diversity of culture and background and by the way it, it, it isn't just product right i've got a development team in india i've got a development team i've got actually development teams in india in bangalore and hyderabad i've got development teams in sofia bulgaria i've got development team in in the us in the boston suburbs in morrisville in georgia uh, sorry in uh, north carolina uh, i've got alfreda georgia i've got madison wisconsin i mean silicon valley oh, i mean yeah. we have development team, and culture is different from location to location as well right so it's a location difference, it is a ethnic difference, it is a product difference, it is an age difference. People are different. And so we have a very, very strong cultural emphasis on diversity is a foundational thing about us. And, and in fact, it's good. And, and how do we deal with that? Once you get that going, Shiv, then, then I think it is relatively easier to take the next step towards the user. Because then once people are listening to each other, then you get the people within the organization who represent, you know, hey, I'm the one who's talking to this customer. And therefore, what I'm saying, if you're already willing to listen to me, then what I bring to the table about what the customer says is, is something that, that, that you'd be willing to listen to as well. So I think that, I think that's the two step. I think you have to continually work at it. But, you know, 
by the way, developers especially are very logical. The mm-hmm. developer, I mean, fundamentally, you know, computer programs are logic, right? Logic written in, in some language that a computer can understand. So, it's, so right. most of the time, right? So, so developers are logical. And, and I think if you sit down and truly explain why something is important, and if they can truly understand the why, then they come along very easily. It's not enough to just say, do this. It, you have to explain to them why. Why does it make sense? Mm. What, does it, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for them individually? What does it mean for the company as a whole? What does it mean for our customers? It's, 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 a, it's, it's people management is, is, is one of the things that you never actually get taught. You learn on the job, I think, more than anything else. Uh, I think the first time I became a people manager, I was one of the horrible ones, I'm sure. But, you know, over the years, you begin to learn how to understand people, how to get them motivated and how to get them to realize what is important for us collectively. And I think it's the collective importance, right? That matters. So I'm just picking on a couple of words that you used, the the motivation part and also the age differences that you mentioned in terms of how do you get your old products to still be supported by particularly developers who always want to work on the latest and greatest? So, so, you know, I mentioned that we have a database product, OpenEdge, that is the core foundational product at, at Progress. Um, it was actually started in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, that, that's when it, it came about. You know, it was the first database uh, that was made multi-tenant, not Oracle, not IBM DB2, not Microsoft oh, SQL. Okay. So we were the first ones to deliver a multi-tenant version of that database. We were the first ones to to uh, add mobile front web front ends to it earlier, mobile front ends to it later. I mean, you know, I think so. The the key there is the following. I don't think the technology should get stale. The the foundation is what it is. Right? There are business applications that were written on it 20 years ago that are still running, but. Mm-hmm. If you looked at it and used it, those business applications, they look modern because the people who built them have now added great mobile and front ends and great user experiences on top of them. So, and the other thing, so that's part A, is, is that you actually provide exciting work to existing for the existing product. Right? I mean, no, so one of the things that we've been doing over the last three years of progress is saying, okay, we, we made this database multi-tenant a decade ago, a whole bunch of our customers now are using it in the cloud. Now, by the way, one of the interesting things about progress is that more than half my revenue comes from other software companies. I'm the only software company oh. that serves software companies as my primary vertical. All my other verticals combined are less mm-hmm. than 1,700 plus software companies embed my products in their products. Oh, yeah. So when I have that large an ecosystem, yeah, you name a software company, Microsoft, Oracle, SAP, IBM, Cognos, Informatica, Adobe, Google now, right? they, are, they are OEMing our software and embedded in their products. And mm. so, so we have to keep our products current. We have to keep our products relevant. And so when you know, we, we now have made these companies start using our product in the cloud, one of the biggest challenges over the last several years we've faced is this whole internet scale. A database mm-hmm. that is a single enterprise on-prem has a very different scale requirements and have very different requirements regarding, for example, availability. CICD is not an issue, all kinds of things. Now you go to the internet, you say, I'm going to have a SaaS offering on top of Progress database. And we have, mm-hmm. we have enterprise application software companies that have on, uh, that have, today SaaS offerings uh, of their business application that run on top of this database that was started, written in 1990s. But by the way, Salesforce runs on Oracle, right? So it, it, it's an old, old yeah. database in that sense. But, but so I think it is 
it is about getting them the opportunity to work on something new. It is about getting them, in fact, to look at a the modern problem and while not completely breaking the old stuff. How do you make that happen? That evolution is actually very, very hard to do. And so we also do the following. We, we also take teams and we bring in brand new kids right out of college and have them work with these 50-something or 60-something-year-old people. And they're, you know, we have great developers who are, who've been working on the product for 20 years, or some of them, in some cases, almost 30 years. Right? Wow. We have tremendous knowledge. Right? They have been with the company that long. And then we have brand new kids right out of college who work side by side with them. The brand new kids bring an attitude of can do, I can change anything. Boy, they look at these new tools I have at my hand and my hand. And they learn from the senior folks, you know, mm. realities of mission critical software. The new folks get also, however, help the people who've been around a long time get mm. rejuvenated and, and energized. Mm-hmm about the newer technologies and the newer things and the newer ways of doing things. So it's a really win-win and, and, and it has worked really well. And we've, we've been consciously and concertedly doing this over the last three years. I came to the company in October of 16. Mm-hmm. And shortly after that, uh, we started making concerted effort in doing this. And it has, it has been amazingly positive. Uh, our entire organization, engineering organization, is, is truly doing agile at scale. So we have okay. adopted SAFE, um, you know, all, all kinds of wonderful stuff. You know, it, it's, uh, it's, that transformation is, is truly, truly, truly wonderful and, 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 and gives one, as, as a leader of the organization, it makes one feel really good. Yeah. In fact, I was going to ask that in terms of the development approaches. Now, how do you blend some of the traditional ways of doing it versus some of the more agile ways of doing. What about the concept of open source? For a company like uh, yours, when you have a rich legacy, there are a lot of innovations that have come up, the paying it forward or sharing. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, Shiv, um, open source is really an interesting topic. And in fact, again, I don't know uh, whether your audience is aware of this or not, but there's an open source project called NativeScript. Uh, NativeScript is a... Uh, framework for building native uh, iOS and Android apps. It's a completely open source effort. It's an open source project. It is completely supported by us. Right? We created okay. native. Mm-hmm. We created native script. We put it in open source from day one. We today have enormous amount of effort. We work with, with um, uh, Google and, and Angular on that in a way very active way to to make that a an open source framework that is very enterprise centric. And, you know, if you talk to the technical folks on, on, on NativeScript or DevRel team, they will, you know, spend hours explaining to you why it's better than the React framework. But, uh, but I, am, I am no longer technical enough to, to answer that well enough. But, but I do believe that, you know, companies like us who benefit from open source, right? We, we also leverage open source in our products, um, also should give back. Uh, our um, cloud platform is, is a, um, you know, native Node.js based JavaScript platform. Um, so again, we have a lot of open source offerings from our side, as well as we have a lot of, we ourselves are, are con- contributing to open source projects as well as leveraging open source. I think, I think that as a business, you also have to provide some differentiator that you can then charge for, because in the end, I have yeah. to pay developers and, 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 yeah. and salespeople and, and, and our organization. So uh, it, it is not a, you know, we're not an open source company and I would never pretend that we're an open source company, but we do our little share towards helping uh, that, that ecosystem do well. Mm-hmm. In your interactions with your customers, what have been the, say, the, the most frequent expectations that you hear from them as uh, maybe capabilities that they would expect in software? So I think that, you know, 
their expectations are pretty much what I think sort of straightforward that I think you expect from anybody and you'd ask this question of anybody, they'd get it, right? In today's day and age, enterprises are truly looking to, even though these, some of these things are cliche, they are truly looking to have intelligent, smart applications, business applications that can leverage some kind of predictive capabilities, machine learning capabilities, leverage the data they have deliver wonderful user experiences on any device anywhere that are adaptive to the user rather than the other way around. And that basically can access and leverage all the data that that might exist anywhere on the planet. So all the data, cloud native, you know, device independent, truly adaptive user experiences with smarts built in. That's what they want to build and offer. And so they ask us, because we are not an application software company, we are a, uh, enabler of applications, a provider of tools, they say, can you make it easy for us? So really the interesting thing is the number one question is, just, I mean, AI is a good example of this. You know, people, people say, okay, I want to do machine learning. And then they go off and have to hire armies of data scientists. And, you know, they used to call data analysts. Now they call data scientists. And they, they you know, and they, 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 now they're using an entirely new language and a set of languages and a set of tools. They don't work with the existing set of languages. Data cleansing becomes a problem. Data transformation becomes a problem. Normalization, becomes, all kinds of headaches. So they're spending most of their time doing grunt work. Productivity is very low. And so what business is asking is, you know, I'd love to get two data scientists, not 20 or 200. And I would love to be able to do something that is truly beneficial to uh, uh, our business and, and, you know, be able to solve a business problem and, and, and not have to spend huge amounts of time, huge amounts of effort doing experimentation. Because even though experimentation is good, everybody just doing pure experimentation is, is really not applying the results of other people's work. So, you know, being a company that offers products in this area. Uh, you know, we offer a workbench for building, uh, for, for data science that, that is dramatically more efficient. Uh, for, for, and by the way, that work happens in Bangalore, uh, the engineering work for that product. Okay. So, so we have a wonderful data science uh, you know, workbench that we created. Uh, we have a, uh, I mentioned NativeScript as our uh, framework for open source for uh, native iOS and Android apps. What is interesting about it is that around it, we have actually built WYSIWYG tools and modern UI building and, and data connectivity to backend data and cloud, uh, you know, platform to connect to anything and, and getting data from everything from a Salesforce to an Oracle to a Progress Open Edge database to, to DB2 on the mainframe and using it in a modern business app and leveraging machine learning for it. So I think it is the, the other part, the ease of use, when, when people say ease of use, it is how can I leverage what I have without having to do all this work myself? So actually, this goes back to your very first question about um, integration. Right. Mm-hmm. User-centric integration is so key for ease of use. And, and I think that th- that, that is really what, what we get asked over and over and over again. Can you make it easy for us? And, and that's what enables us to actually get paid, right? right. They, 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 because the businesses get efficiency. They, they get to market faster. They get their products worked uh, on, with smaller teams and, and more rapid uh, delivery of results. Thanks. I think with your experience, I think this conversation can go on for a long time. But in the interest of time, I have one question with with two parts. Uh, Essentially, what is your advice for people who are aspiring to get into IT? That is one. And the second is uh, for those who are in IT, who feel that they are techies, the transition that you've made to a leader. 
So people who are aspiring to be in IT, I, I, so I, I actually, you know, there's an interesting thing. Um, I got, got into software through chance, right? I, I, you know, I, I think people should look at themselves and say, why do they want to do something? To be honest, I, I actually, by the time I was done with electrical engineering at IIT Madras, I, I actually did not want, I didn't like it anymore. Even though I went into it saying, I want to be an electronics engineer, by the fourth year out of five, I did not want to be an electronics engineer, right? Sometimes it takes time for you to figure out whether you really like something. And so then I switched to computer science and it was lucky that I liked it, right? Who knows, maybe I wouldn't have liked that either, but I did. So I liked programming, I liked doing software development. And that allowed me to put in effort. When, when, I, was, when I was doing my undergrad at IIT, in my third, fourth year, I was not putting in the kind of effort that I was putting in when I went in my first and second year because I was really excited. I was looking forward to it. My grades suffered. You know, I didn't do well. I didn't do as nearly as well as I did in the first two years. And then when I got into computer science and I liked writing software and building uh, software, uh, I did well, right? So I, I think if people want to get into IT because they really think they will enjoy the work, then I think they can be successful at it. And then I think they can put in the right amount of effort that is needed. Because to be successful at anything, you have to work hard in a sustained way, not in short bursts. Mm. And effort is the key to, in my view, at least my success. I, over my years of, of uh, you know, more than three decades of working, you know, Shiv, I've had enough ups and downs. And the downs is when you learn, right? And, and the downs have actually come from me not engaging, me not putting in the hard, sustained effort. And when I reflected mm -hmm. on it, it was, I really didn't like doing what I was doing. So I went off and found something I liked doing. And then it, it became exciting again. And I put in the hard work and I did well. And so I think that's, to, to me, that's an important thing. So if people want to get into IT, obviously a, a technology, you know, have to have a bent towards math. You have to like math. Otherwise, I think it's tough to uh, do software without having a, 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 a math science back, you know, bent. Right. So if you like math and science, I think IT is not hard, but, you know, programming is very logical. And, and I, th I think it, it is a, a logical mind, problem-solving mind is, is good at it. In mm -hmm. terms of career going from a, a developer to, to, a, to a leader, I, I think I was very fortunate. I had wonderful mentors along the way, uh, people who gave mm -hmm. me opportunities that I would not have given myself. You know, it's an interesting thing. You know, you kind of sometimes think, oh, I deserve to have that job. People would say, oh, Yogesh, I think you can do that job. I said, I don't think I'm ready yet. And they say, no, 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 we think you can do that. And those kind of mentors are just invaluable in one's life. Um, mm -hmm. I was tremendously lucky to have those type of mentors. I also real, uh, discovered that for me to become a broad leader, I had to do things that were out of my comfort zone. So I, I was a software okay. developer, then I became a leader and you know, tech lead, then I became a manager. That's sort of incremental, right? And I, and I managed larger and larger organizations, but then at one point we had worked on a product and the product was just about to come out and my CEO came to me and said, Yogesh, I want you to move to marketing. I want you to launch this release one. Oh, it's gonna be the biggest product for us. Mm -hmm. And my, I was just shocked. My first words out of my mouth were, what did I do wrong, Charles? <laughs> Why are you punishing me with this? I'm a developer. How do, I don't know anything about marketing. I barely know how to spell it. And, and he said, no, no, no. You know, I, I'll be with you. I'll help you do this. And, and it'll be a wonderful experience. And it turned out to be a phenomenal experience, right? It, it, it was a great product to begin with. The market opportunity was right. So all things were right. And that's the lucky part. And then mm -hmm. I put in my effort into learning what marketing was about and helping our salespeople and doing the things like writing marketing collateral and all that stuff. And, and, and over time, I ended up running worldwide marketing for CA, which then later on led me to become head of strategy and then become a CTO. Right? So I think, I think of CA. And, and then when I left CA, I, I actually ended up 
starting to, I said, okay, let me see if I can run a small company. So CA, CTO, I had 2,500 employees in my organization. By the time I'd go from one office to the next, to the next, to the first office again, <laughs> half the people would have changed. Um, I said, let me go find a small company that I can, you know, remember everybody's name on a daily basis. So I, I, I found a VC-backed company that was about $25 million in revenue that I ran and, and uh, 160 employees. And, and, you know, I think, I think leadership is hard. Leadership is, um, is, is something that you learn over time. You make mistakes just like you make mistakes in anything else. But I think it's a, uh, it's a combination of an eagerness and openness to try something different and taking that risk to do that something different, to learn other aspects of the business, finding mentors who are willing to give you the opportunity and to lend you a hand when you need, when you stumble, when you try something new, mm-hmm. um, and a, a, a drive uh, to succeed. I mean, you know, in, 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 it has to come from within, right? Effort. I, I, I'm sorry, Shiv, I sound like a broken record. Effort, effort, effort. Right? And, and sustained effort. And, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't have any, any pearls of wisdom. <laughs> you know, hard work it is. So, so I, I appreciate this opportunity to share the thoughts with, with your audience. Yeah, but you did make it sound easy. <laughs> if I did, I'm sorry. It was not intended to be. It may be straightforward, but not easy. I, I want to differentiate. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe that's yeah, it's, right. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thanks a lot once again, Yogesh, for uh, the time taken. And I'm sure there will be more questions. And I definitely would like to probably have a more detailed conversation later, focusing more on the leadership lessons and uh, some of the stories of what worked, what didn't work, and the cultural aspects. But that's something that is not very well documented. I, it's, it's been a pleasure to spend this time. I'd love to do uh, more on, on the areas and themes you, you, you mentioned. Uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Hopefully, we can do it sometime in the future. Yeah. Thanks, Yogesh, once again. Thank you. If you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that, please get in touch with us at podcast at pm hyphen powerconsulting.com that is podcast at pm hyphen powerconsulting.com please rate the show on podchaser stitcher itunes or any other podcast client that you find us on please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show do write to us at this email address, podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.